Oh dear. Hey guys, and welcome to the Coffee and Coding Podcast, the show where we discuss everything there is to know about app development. I'm your host, Rob J, and in this episode, I speak with Benedict Sayer, co-founder of dynamic app pricing startup, Mage. We talk about how to optimize your in-app purchase prices, his research into what the most popular apps on the App Store have in common, his surprising insights into the role app reviews play in store rankings, pricing strategies, dynamic app pricing, launching on product hunt, and much, much more. Now onto the show. Before we get into today's episode, I want to shout out S Car on Twitter for donating 10 coffees this week via coffeeencodingpod.com slash donate. It's a huge support for the show, so I really, really appreciate it. It's also really nice to get an email come through and say somebody bought me 10 coffees because, you know, if you haven't realized by now, my life is fueled by caffeine. I also really want to shout out Shad Sluter, I really hope I'm saying your surname right, who also donated 10 coffees, literally overdosing on coffee this week. Super grateful. And interestingly, Shad actually approached me about a week ago on LinkedIn. He's a professor at a university in Arizona, I want to say in the States. And so he's been listening to the podcast and he asked me if I'd be interested in talking to his class about freelancing, which I of course agreed to. And I did that recently. And it was really fun. It was really great to share my knowledge. And I actually had a bunch of students message me on LinkedIn afterwards asking questions and saying thanks. So that's really nice. And that was actually recorded via Zoom. And I think Shad's going to put it up on his YouTube channel. So you can see the link to that in the show notes if anybody's interested in checking it out. But once again, thank you, Shad, for the coffee donation. Really, really appreciate it. And having talked to a class last week about freelancing, that leads me nicely into the next thing that I wanted to mention, which is if you missed it in last week's episode, I'll be launching a new podcast soon, which will be bite-sized episodes about five to 10 minutes, a couple of times a week, all about freelancing. So if you're interested in freelancing or if you are a freelancer, then check out the trailer and subscribe via freelancedevpod.com. That's freelancedevpod.com. If you go on the website, it has the links for all the various different podcasting platforms. So just pick wherever it is you listen to podcasts and listen to the trailer. And if you like it, please subscribe. It would also be really useful if you do listen and you like it to subscribe because I'm going to try and hack the system, so to speak, a little bit when I launch this podcast and see if I can get it into the, um, or see, I should say, see if we because without you listeners, then there is basically just me and then therefore no show. So see if we can get the show into the news and noteworthy section on Apple Podcasts. And that involves getting listens and getting subscriptions. So if you like it or if you're interested in that subject, please check it out. Please subscribe. Oh, and also if you are interested in freelancing or in that podcast or anything along those lines, the name of the podcast is Freelancing Developer Q&A. So I really hope I get some questions from the community because otherwise it's going to be a very short-lived podcast series because you can't have freelance developer Q&A as a title of your podcast and then have no cues. So if you would like to ask me a question about freelancing or development, you can do so. You can find me on Twitter at LowCarbRob. Hit me up on the Coffee and Coding Slack. If you're not in that, it's coffeeandcodingpod.com slash Slack. You can also find me on LinkedIn, super accessible there. And if you've made it this far into the podcast so far, then you can also email me. That's right. I'm, I'm being brave and I'm going to give out my email, which is unsurprisingly rob at coffeeandcodingpod.com. If you've got a question about freelancing, ask me there. If you've got any other questions you want to ask me, if you want to hire me, you know, if you want to send me more than 10 coffees and you want to do that via email, then you're welcome to do that too. And with all of that said, I think that is it from me. 
So now onto my conversation with Benedict. So I was doing a bit of research and the first thing that I'm kind of interested in is can you just give like me and the listeners kind of a brief catch up from how you got into, I guess, app development related stuff? Because Mages, from what I can see, it's kind of an SDK, but it plays in really nicely to the app development space. So can can you just give us like an overview of how you got to where you are today just before starting Mage? And then we'll get onto that afterwards. Yeah, sure. First of all, thanks for having me. It's it's great being here. I'm really excited and looking forward. Yeah, uh, I studied business informatics uh, here in Berlin, um, and I did finish my master's degree in last October. And uh, yeah, during my studies, I focused on three main areas on data science, the app market and IT project management. And parallel to that, I worked most of the time as a working student in backend development first. And uh, when I wrote my bachelor thesis, I I worked at Bosch, where I developed a risk management tool. And in my master thesis, I then shifted more to the data science uh, application areas where I optimized staff rosters uh, by using Cygnus predictions for adding additional buffers. And even more impressive during my master's for me was uh, my research project I have done there, where I analyzed with a friend of mine the App Store for features which help us identify successful apps. And at that time, roughly, I also joined my friend Patrick in pushing his app Donut Duck forward. And nowadays, I'm still working with him. And we decided to start our own business, Mage, like you mentioned. And uh, as we ran into the problem, then how to price Donut Duck. And we were convinced that there has to be a better option in optimizing their pricing. Okay, so first question is, what is Donut Dog? <laughs> it's a productivity app, which should help you focus more on your, uh, on the stuff you're trying to do. So you basically will be rewarded for every time you don't use your phone while doing your exercise, like studying or something like that. Okay, cool. So then I guess <laughs> another question, which I don't know if your best place to answer or not is why did he call it Donut Dog? <laughs> Because it's uh, rewarding you with uh, donuts. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. Nice. Nice. So you mentioned a bunch of stuff there, and th- obviously the the thing that we're going to dig into is pricing of apps. But a couple of questions I have before we kind of get to that is: so you said that you analyze the app store and you're trying to look at what features make successful apps, right? So. My two questions there is one, what was your barometer of what is a successful app? And then two, in practical terms, how did you go about doing that? Regarding the first question, two things uh, maybe because uh, what I personally would describe a successful app and what we use as a description for our analysis. Uh, During our analysis, we defined a successful app as an app which made it into the top 50 of the top grossing charts. So it's mainly revenue based. Yeah, because it's quite well known how steep the grossing curve in the App Store is. Only a handful of apps make up for the most of the App Store's revenue. So we used that as a criteria for a successful app. Um, but if, if you want to know my personal opinion, I read, put it differently as I think an app can also be curved perfectly called successful if you have revenue and can pay your bills and this validates your business case. And that would also prove to me that you succeeded with, with your, my app. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, if, if the, if the only measure you have of a successful app is if you get into the top 50 on the app store, then like 99.9% of apps are failures, right? So, so then in terms of how did you analyze the app store for the features that make them successful? How did you go about doing that? We, uh, first started with, uh, of course, research what already has been done and what has already been proven as success uh, features for uh, in the app store. 
And so that's a really interesting question. And in our analysis, we used two primary sources, uh, data sources, which ended up in roughly 70 gigabytes of data from the current apps in the App Store. And we had all information from description of the app over supported devices until it release information. And I mean, we could dig, dig deeper into that, but it's almost like 150 attributes, which we analyzed. So this is, this is just stuff that you pulled straight out of the App Store, not, not particularly looking at the apps themselves, but like the listing, the description, maybe images, all that kind of stuff. Exactly. So continue. So then how, how do we decide what features from this is making the app successful or like, how, yeah, really, how do you do it? Cause to me, it's just, it's like the data science approach, which is well over my head. So, so what we did there is we started a predictive analytics. So we were setting up a prediction for apps, which have the opportunity to make it into the top charts. And from that, we then extracted the most relevant features, which get you to be t successful. I mean, I skipped now the whole data modeling process <laughs> as it might be way too much here, but in the end, we could then confirm which features were most important to get you in the, in the top 50 charts. So then Cliff Notes is, were there common features that, you know, people would know that made that happen? Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, it was quite interesting. We could prove many of the research which has already been, been done before and also add some new findings. And the first thing we uh, noticed is that apps with inner purchases and apps with lower upfront pricing are more successful, which totally supports the freemium movement. And also pricing toppy is temporary discounts can shortly push your app as well. Using ads mainly had a negative effect in our analysis as apps more likely lead down the ladder. To, talking about the supporting devices you, su you support with your app, the more devices you support, the better. But if you support like legacy devices, we could see the opposite effect. That would mainly can depend on if your app's really old then your app's probably not any longer in the top charts. And so that that's why where that's, this is coming from, I think. Also, uh, obviously, ratings. The more ratings you get, the higher you will be ranked in the App Store. What was really interesting is that it doesn't really matter whether their ratings were positive or negative. Oh, really? Yeah. So just the more you have. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Okay. I would not have thought that. And even the negative ones were more important than neutral ones. Really? Yeah, that was also quite interesting. Oh, that's crazy. So from what you've just said, if you want a quote unquote successful app, freemium model, no ads, support relevant devices, but probably not ancient ones and as many reviews as you can get. And it doesn't matter whether they're positive or negative. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was where the main findings. Yeah. That's, that's super interesting. Freemium for my own apps. I've seen that that works well, definitely because it reduces the barrier to entry in the first place, but I would never have predicted that having, having more reviews regardless would, mm -hmm. would, yeah, that's crazy. So moving on from that. So then you, so you also mentioned to me that you were looking at pricing and kind of pricing strategies and how do you find the right price? So my question to you is, is let's say you're going with the freemium model because you've said, you know, this is what's going to perform best on the app store. So then how do you go about finding what is the right price? Yeah, uh, that, that's a really a difficult question because we, we experienced that ourselves when we, we were uh, working on Donutduck because there will always be that one guy who will be complaining about your prices, that they are way too high. But only rarely someone will approach you and admit that your pricing is actually too low <laughs> or even, <Yeah>. even worse. <laughs> yeah. If you price your product too low, some people might 
think that or get the impression that your product might be cheap and might be not be working correctly. So it, it's really difficult to to find the, the sweet spot there. So I think of pricing rather as a continuous process, not a one-time strategy, because what we did back then was setting up a B test after a B test, trying to move in the right direction. And I think there's always room for improvement because the environment variables will always keep changing and you always have to keep track on that. So yeah, you, you probably can imagine quite well how much fun it was to create new in-app purchases every time for every new OB Yeah, test. so so I was going to get onto this later because that was one yeah. of the things when I was looking at the description of Mage. I was like, it sounds awesome, but how does it work in reality? Because so I've done A-B testing for my apps and I've done pricing testing not to the extent that you've done it. And I've done kind of, um, you know, how long, like how long do you have to keep someone in a trial before they'll purchase? So like, mm -hmm. where's the sweet spot? Is it seven days? Is it 12? Mm -hmm. Is it three weeks? That kind of thing. But part of the issue that I had and why I kind of stopped doing the price testing is because every time you have to create a new IAP on the console mm -hmm. and then your app has to support it. And then going forward, mm -hmm. you have to make sure that you remember like test one is still valid and test two is still valid. And, you know, final subscription price It's still all that kind of stuff. So it gets super complicated. Totally feel you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So then just on the pricing thing before we move on. So one that's just out of interest for myself, and I don't know if, if you've got any research or anything on this is where have you found where kind of subscription versus one-time purchases? Have you found anything that performs better or kind of how, how does that sit with your research? Well, we couldn't really, really prove that it, one thing is better than the other in our research. But my, my personal opinion on that is that the discussion depends on really multiple factors that might also explain why there was no real winner in our analysis. So there is no really right or wrong. It's, it's about analyzing the environment and determine which one fits best for your environment, for your product. Like the first thing I would always check is the continuous value. So does my app provide continuously value to my users? Like fitness apps or news apps or many productivity apps, they continually provide me with new information and help me with my daily sport or stuff like that. But for example, a scanner app or maybe even mini games, I would argue that the value is not consistent. I, I don't use my scanner app on a day-to-day -day business and even sometimes even not months. So there's no reason for me to pay on a, a regular basis for that. So if the precondition is met that you have continuous value, then subscriptions are perfect options. I, I'm personally a big fan of subscriptions as you generate recurring revenue for you, which enables you for your ongoing development. And on the other side, of course, also for the user as well, as they don't have to pay a high upfront price and they just pay as they go and they can stop if they don't want to use the product any longer. Back when we start, uh, experimented with DonutDoc, we also uh, experimented a bit with one-time price versus sub. Interestingly enough for, for us, we experienced that the one-time price was a bit better working for us. But I think, I think that's really dependent on the environment we're working on. I mean, that would correlate to kind of what I've seen. Well, I guess what I've seen in practice actually is that it didn't matter if it was subscription or one time. The main factor that I found in apps that give like ongoing value was just the price point and you could have them both the same price and they would perform equally well. But if it's really expensive, then it's it's set to fail. And, and, to, and to your point, if it's low, then I think people think that they're not going to get good value out of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I guess it's also good to, to test with, with that as well. So you understand what your users want and how they see your product. So it's it's good to test wh which one works best. Yeah, totally, totally. Then 
I guess, so you've done the research, you've been working on Donut Dog. I still think you can tell your friend that I think that name is amazing. (laughs) And so from there, you've decided that, you know, this pricing thing is a whole problem. I saw a quote, I think it was on the the Get Mage website that said um, that app developers lose out on 20% of their revenue from static pricing. And to me, static pricing is just pricing. I didn't even think about, oh, there could be static and there could be dynamic. So can you talk about what made you decide that you want to start this startup, getmage.io for people that are listening, go check it out. And yeah, I, I guess just like what made you go in that direction? And then we can talk about what it does and how it works and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we thought that there has to be a better option than to manually continuously setting up A-B test behind an A-B test. And there has a way to be uh, to automize that and to make that easier and not not like manual work and maybe even even more optimize it as you always have to ask yourself how much does your customer really value your product, especially in the mobile ecosystem where monetizing can be quite challenging and which pricing is reasonable and for which markets are your prices really set because it's it's well known that some countries might have higher purchasing powers than others so why would you charge the same pricing for your inner purchases in, in in both regions and we we thought that maybe by segmenting your customers you can enable more customers to use your premium features and simultaneously increase your revenue and then we thought about developing mage fully automate simultaneously price testing and setting for your in-app purchases in all the available app store countries and develop an sdk which continuously analyzes your users purchase behavior and optimize optimizes your pricing accordingly so you can't forget about continuously setting up a b tests or hiring data science team you, you don't need to deal with that any longer That's so interesting. So I guess we can go to the question that I had earlier, which is how how does it work in terms of, you know, we talked about if I I was going to do A-B testing, I need to create an IAP for each thing. So how does Mage work and how does it work around that issue of not having a developer create a hundred different IAPs for a hundred different countries? That's a good point because that would be an awful lot of work. We can't take away all work because some IAPs we still have to, uh, of course, uh, develop. And what we have done is like we develop a price range from your current pricing and define like five to uh, seven price points which you then create once as an ERP in your in your iTunes Connect or Google Play console. And so you just enter these these five ERPs once and then we can with our backend automatically decide which ERP will be played out in which country and for which yeah region. Okay, that makes sense. So essentially you're doing the A-B testing from a selection that you've also determined this is probably the best price range for your product. Exactly. Okay, so then how does that work in, in practical terms? So I, I go and register for Mage, I put the SDK in my app, how does it work from there? And is there any developer interaction past creating the IAPs or, or is that basically the whole thing? Yeah, I, I guess there's some, some more, uh, setup, but we try to keep it as lightweight as possible. So there is not much to do for a developer. We have our open source SDKs, as you mentioned. And, uh, so they're also quite easy to implement. They basically have like three calls and there's also a web dashboard for uh, the configuration where you can uh, register your app and Name us your current products and your current pricing and also the minimum pricing if you don't want to go below a certain price level. And if you have um, put the information about your product in our web application, then we can uh, we say what price range, which EAPs you need to add in your 
console, like uh, Google Play console or uh, iTunes Connect Store. And from that on, we can then analyze your uh, customer's purchase behavior and then can do predictions on what, which direction we want to move. And currently, we stick to a recommendation-based approach. So in regarding the developer interaction, because what we're now trying to build up is more trust and probably you want to uh, still supervise which prices are being played out and so we, we stuck to an, uh, for now, recommendation-based approach where we notify you with new recommendations. So we, we will say we would recommend you to increase your prices in Germany to, to three euros. And you basically just click the accept button and we then will play that out. You, you don't need to add anything. It's just you accepting it. And so you stay in full control for now, uh, which prices will we played out in which countries that's a really nice approach i like that okay so i assume it's doing both right so it's doing predictive analytics based on i would assume users that look like this paid this much so we'll recommend them this much and users in this country paid this much so we'll recommend them this much and then i assume that's like an ongoing thing or is it it gets to a set like we know people are going to pay this much and then you just always recommend you know people in germany pay three euros I would put that question maybe in, in, into two areas as and in the beginning, of course, the potential is, is higher because obviously most in most times you don't start with the optimal price. So in the beginning, uh, the, the potential is much higher and we, we can uh, do much more suggestions, but it's an ongoing process as I described earlier the the environment is continuously changing and so so are the prices maybe you can repeat once more your question i i, I lost i lost it so 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 i think again in the right direction but the question is basically is it an ongoing like is it ongoing a b testing essentially forever or does it get to a point where it's not a b testing anymore and it knows that you know people in Germany are going to pay three euros for this. So the price is just three euros or is it continuously, you know, testing three euros, but also a subset are testing one dollar, one euro fifty or. Exactly. So it, it it's continuously uh, testing forward. So it's continuously uh trying to to get the optimal uh, value for you it's it's not like a higher price with a lower sales must is worse it's it depends on how the revenue is and the lifetime value of their your customers so so it's a continuous process in 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 our mind and of course if we gathered enough data we can soonly also have some basic predictions to make it in the beginning even faster as you obviously might experience in some countries some tendencies to ha have higher purchases or lower purchases. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And then I guess another question is in the sense of, you know, let's say you're doing your, your predictive pricing and you recommend to me $3, right? But I don't want to pay $3. So I say no, or I say, you know, keep me on the free plan or something at some point in the future. Is it going to come back? Like, is it going to pop up again and say, Hey, the app is now $2? Or is it that you've lost me as a customer because I said no to $3? Because right now, for example, how I lay out my apps, the price, like there's some AB testing, but essentially the price is the price, right? So if you say, I don't want to unlock the app for $2, then it's not going to come back to you in a week and say, Hey, actually, how about $1? It's just that's $2. That's it. And maybe you have to wait till Christmas and it's 50% off. So in this context, like does the price change for the same user if they didn't go for it or does it stay the same? Well, first, we maybe have to separate that one as well because switching prices for individual users is a really sensitive topic. If you switch that's, that's why I'm asking the question because yeah. yeah, I could see that going horribly wrong. 
yeah, if, if you switch too fast, obviously your users will be really confused and might get angry as you, at you. And that's, that's not what we are trying to achieve. So, uh, we, we currently keeping, uh, the prices for, uh, for individual users quite stable. So they, they don't change often, too often, and they don't change too much. So they, they will stay happy and, uh, the, it's, it's all right for them. But we plan in the future to add Uh, some opportunities like you you said if a user uh, used your app and saw the three dollars and maybe then don't stops looking into your app you might have lost him so we are planning to add in the future opportunities to refer to that customer back so you can maybe get back to him with a with a better pricing but as i said as this has to be done really carefully so currently we still Uh, we don't do that okay all right cool that makes sense so outside of like the how it works and stuff because it's a startup right so how, how did you guys start it up was it like a weekend thing or a, like a two week I, i'm just i'm just super interested how it goes from idea to like right now you have a pretty fully fledged concept and i would say a really good mvp because it's super clear this is what it does it's super clear this is the need for it but how long did it take to get that up and running and kind of what did that look like <laughs> that's that's a really interesting question uh, i'm glad you asked I mean, if you tell the story, it's, uh, or if you hear stories, it's always like, yeah, straightforward, but it's not like yeah, that. I just coded for 24 hours straight and that was it and it's done. Yeah, that's, that's not like it. It's, it's in reality. So I guess everything started in last, yeah, October, November, uh, when we really decided that the need is so, so huge for this specific issue that we want to try to think about a solution. And, and we did evaluate many, many options, how, how we could solve that issue. And, uh, we, we went like a, a few ways we, we could think about, but then eliminated way, uh, one option after another. And finally we were stuck with our approach, which we thought made most sense and which the feedback we got from other people, uh, was, was the best. And next to me, Benedict, there's also Patrick, uh, like I introduced from, uh, the maker of Donut Dog. And we also met a, a third, a third person. His, his name is Mark. Uh, he's our third co-founder. And, uh, so we decided together that we want to, uh, push this issue forward and yeah, started developing it, contacting more app developers to get to talk with them and how they feel about it and what they need and what they want and next to that we also applied for the uh, exist startup grant which is a, a scholarship here in germany we have and uh, we we got accepted for that so we have our finance for for this year so which is quite nice for us and uh, yeah now we're uh, fully committed to the project and uh, working full-time on it and last week we uh, did our product hunt launch because we said our product is now in a stage where we really really uh, can push forward and so we did our product hunt launch last last sunday yeah that's awesome that's awesome i, I actually wanted to ask you about that because i saw that you got on product hunt and i was going to ask like what was the process like that for because <laughs> i've heard it seems like product hunt is a really nice thing to get on because it gets you a lot of traffic so i'm interested to hear about that but also at least from my own personal experience some of these things that it seems like they should be easy to get on and then you submit your startup or your app and they're like yeah, it doesn't meet our criteria so how did how did you get on there and what kind of response did did you get from that yeah it took a lot of preparations uh, first of all 
we did really um, reevaluated our web page like numerous times. I stopped counting at some point <laughs> <laughs> because um, you you try to get your web page as as good as possible. So the people who who then um, land on your landing page, they they need to understand the issue you're solving as well as how you solve it within a minute or seconds because otherwise they are gone. So we we really optimized our landing page and got feedback from from numerous people how how they feel about it how what what they think we are doing and so so we got a lot of feedback of them and always iterated over the web page and uh, improved it the other thing we did is we um obviously prepared uh, the page for product hunt so uh, we, we like the preview can do And we uh, designed uh, a lot of graphics for that and also iterated over them to see which one makes most sense for us and which one is best. And with that preparation, we then uh, moved into uh, the product and launch and uh, also uh, obviously contact some, some friends and to, to get some initial upvotes and to become, become featured. And as soon as we were on the featured side, I guess we were in position number To when we started and yeah as soon as that happened the the traffic obviously increased because then also externals came to your side and visited you uh, which was really nice and the feedback was uh, overall really positive we got because many people say like uh, yeah that's that's a cool way to solve this problem and that's the issue they they have so the feedback was really good and also i mean we're a b2b business it's not like hundreds of people will sign will sign up immediately because it's it's not a b2c thing but still we got we got signups we got uh, also signups for the paid plan so not not free only free signups so that that was uh, quite quite good and still we we experience Uh, the product hunt uh, feeling uh, now because we're still getting uh, signups from product hunt now. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. All right, that's really good to hear. So, so then in terms of pricing, um, I wanted to ask about that for people that are listening because obviously there will be people listening like me that are interested in the product. Which is, what do you get on the free plan? What does the pay plan look like? Yeah, uh, we we have a free plan, and um, our plans are basically revenue oriented because of two reasons. Because first of all, the the analysis you power you need is higher the more the more data is generated, and a second, of course, the the uplift potential for your for your app is of course higher the larger your current revenue basis is. So, the the it's revenue oriented, and our free plan is uh, to three uh, k uh, for free of uh, monthly recurring revenue and one app so you if you have one app you can just sign up for free and add your app till you hit the 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 free limit after that it's revenue oriented uh, uh pricing fee of of your monthly recurring revenue okay all right that's a nice way to do it i i, I like how you took your research approach and took the freemium one to make sure that you yeah, get people exactly. on board and then if it works you got to pay for it so i think that's yeah. fair um, so then is there anybody else out there that's doing this or is there any other solutions that exist to try and solve this problem? Because I honestly didn't think of it. It never crossed my mind that this is a problem and I've never heard, you know, dynamic pricing. And that just could be because I'm in my own bubble, but I would have thought by now I would have heard it. So is there anyone else out there that's trying to solve this? And how, if there is, like, how do they differ from what you're doing? Um, right now, there's no direct competition, if you say so, because There's nothing new under the sun. So what we experience most is like substitutes. So things you can abuse in another way. So it 
could work like us so kind of like a b testing yourself yeah. and doing all the work yeah exactly like a b testing tools or like like firebase where you set up your your a b tests and do the manual work so there's a uh, a lot of uh, substitutes like that. The other uh, substitutes we experienced are um, app agencies, which offer the services uh, of improving your app or optimizing your, your app, also optimizing your pricing. But that's also something different as it's a not optimized way. It's like a personal way where you uh, have a, a person helping you with your app. But of course, you also pay then horrendous fees. Uh, I was like going to say that. that's probably well out of the reach of like independent developers. <laughs> yeah. They can't they can't afford to do that. And also, there's no proven results. Whereas yeah, with it, what you guys are doing, if if I use it and it doesn't work, I'm not paying. And if I use it and it works, then it's worth paying for. So yeah, exactly. And uh, the biggest competition is of course with large apps. They're doing that themselves, like the really large ones, the unicorns. I mean, if you monitor, for example, the pricing of Spotify, it's in, uh, in Turkey other than in Germany and uh, probably in the, in Great Britain. So, uh, they, they have whole teams for that deciding on their pricing. Yeah. I mean, on a personal level, I'm pretty sure I'm going to check it out because some of the stuff that you're talking about is stuff that I do on a really small scale. And it's super time consuming. And in my head, it would be so nice if I could just be like, here's the SDK, here's five different SKUs. And then you guys go and work out the pricing for me. So I'd definitely be interested in checking it out. So then I guess the last thing, where can people find you online? Where can people find Mage? Where can they sign up for it? All that good stuff. Uh, yeah, Mage, obviously, uh, our webpage is uh, getmage.io. And uh, you can just register there for, for, our, for our app and uh, get the SDKs from there. Yeah, you can find me on, on LinkedIn or on Twitter. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it was really awesome uh, sharing the experience and uh, getting the feedback also from you. And um, if you, if you want to try Mage, just visit our webpage maybe and uh, have a look. <laughs> Big thanks to today's guest, Benedict Sayer. You can find him on Twitter at Sayer Benedict and you can find Mage at getmage.io. I highly recommend you give it a look and if you're a frequenter on Product Hunt, then find it on there and give it a thumbs up. Finally, if you like the show, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating or a review. You can do that either via Apple Podcasts or via podchaser.com. The link is in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so with a coffee donation at coffeeencodingpod.com slash donate. Caffeine is literally what fuels this podcast. If you'd like to connect with me, you can do so on Twitter at lowcarbrob. And if you'd like to connect with like-minded developers and other listeners, you can do so in our Slack community at coffeeencodingpod.com slash Slack. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode of the Coffee Encoding Podcast. <laughs>